What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Hey everyone, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 14. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, I wanted to ask that if you find yourself enjoying this podcast, please take a minute and rate and review it on iTunes. Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and let me know there what you think of the show. Today, my guest is Caroline Star Rose. Caroline and I dive deep into first novels, historical fiction, and the trickiness of talking about books we don't like. Let's get to it. Caroline, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, well, I'm just delighted you could come. Caroline, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. I'm a mom. I'm a pastor's wife. I am a former teacher, and I'm a children's author. Uh, I live in New Mexico. I grew up here. We left uh, for a number of years when my husband was in seminary and had pastorates in here, there, and everywhere. But we're back here in town, and uh, life is good. I'm glad to hear it. Now, how does reading fit into that life as a parent and an author? Oh, reading is my greatest joy. I just, um, it's just, ah, uh, it's just everything that I love. If, if I were to describe what reading is like for me, it feels like a, a really private experience where it's something that I can just be with the book and I'm experiencing this whole world on my own. But I also really love that it's a really universal experience that I get to, um, share a story with other people that have also experienced the same book. And so I have something in common with people who have, have read the same books that I've read. In fact, more than once I have run up to people and grabbed their arm if I've seen them holding a book that I love. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you know, I love this book. This is my favorite and that sort of thing. So I, wh what are the titles that have compelled you to accost strangers and tell them that they're reading something great? The Physician. I have run up to a woman in a bookstore who was holding The Physician. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. Oh gosh, you know, I'm really bad at airports. I will be, <laughs> I'll be like snoot looking either when I'm sitting on the plane, looking at the person next to me to see what they're reading or while we're all sitting waiting for the plane. I'm kind of like, what is that you're reading? And then I'll kind of look over the shoulders. Hey, that's a good one. isn't it? <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of goofy that way. Oh, that's okay. What else can I tell you about reading? 
I think it's Lois Lowry that said reading is a dress rehearsal for life. And I love this Mm. idea for children's literature, but also for adults as well, because I feel like books provide this place where we can first experience at a safe distance things that we might later experience in life. But they also provide a place, uh, another safe place where we get to uh, read about things that we hope we will never experience in life. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of feel like there's this interesting dichotomy, kind of like the private and the universal. We have this safe place for future experiences, safe place for things we hope to never encounter in our lives. And then I also love that reading is really an act of empathy. This is something in the children's literature community that teachers and publishers talk about, uh, that children who do read those who are exposed more to stories uh, are just naturally more empathetic. And I think this also covers uh, adult readers as well. The more uh, experience you have with other people's stories, true stories or, you know, or fiction, uh, the more empathetic you're going to be. And so this really um, enriches our experience with what it means to be a human being and and who's out there in the world. And I, I think it makes Um, experiences that might feel black and white just seem really more uh, complex because that's really what life is all about. And finally, probably one of my favorite things about reading is that it forces me to closely examine my own life. I think kind of in the big and small events, sometimes it's easy to um, really process sometimes what's happening. But to read about it secondhand and to see characters or uh, if I'm reading something like memoir, to see people really experiencing similar events in their own lives, it's a I'm almost forced to look at those moments in my life that are similar and see them for what they were. And I think this is a really good thing because life sometimes, as weird as this sounds, you don't as you don't it's it's easy for me, I should say, maybe I can't speak for other people. I don't always live it as fully as I might. So fiction helps me live my own life more fully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Okay, Caroline, here's how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and we will talk about what you should read next. Are you ready? Yes. Let's start with your favorites. What are three books you love? Okay, and I'm going to start with a disclaimer here because (laughs) this is so silly. It was hard to boil this down to three. I it's know that so were, hard. I know. It's, it's, I just want you to know, I know that it's so hard. I mean, I feel like I had to have a discussion with my favorite books and say, now look a moment here. You are still my loves, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not bringing you into the conversation today. So just know that I'm not turning my back on you. They're not your three very favorites. They're just no. three three favorites of what could yes. be 150. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to, I, what I've decided, my first is going to be the selected journals of Lucy Maud Montgomery. And since that is uh, a set of journals that actually there are five of them, I'm going to, if I had to pick one, I would pick volume one. Okay. Tell us, and, tell us why that's a favorite. Okay. Lucy Maud Montgomery, she uh, was known as Maud. She is the author of Anne of Green Gables and the Emily Star books and the Pad of Silverbush. And- I have to ask, is it just total coincidence that Star is uh, you and Emily Starr share that name? It's a total coincidence, but it is so fun because I have to tell you, when I was in middle school, my name was such a burden. My mother and my grandmother and I are all Starr. Was that your main name? No, it's it's my middle name. So all three of us, my grandmother's Jean Starr, my mother's Polly Starr, and I'm Mm -hmm. Karen Starr. And in middle school, it was awful. I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm 42, so I'm of the age where my classmates would say things like, 
Oh my gosh, your name is Star. Were your parents hippies? Do you have sisters who are named Moonbeam and Sunshine? And I would just think, no, leave me alone. I bet that gets old. <laughs> but now I love it. So it, it did feel an affinity with Emily, mm-hmm. for sure. As much as I loved the Anns and the Emilies and, and all of the um, Lucy Mom Montgomery books, in fact, I've read them all several times. In high school, I actually met a friend who sent me home. Uh, I didn't realize I hadn't read all of Lucy Mom Montgomery's books. So she sent me home with two grocery sacks over Christmas or uh, summer vacation. And I sat on the couch and read all the books that I hadn't yet read. And so that wow. was fun. But um, I just, I have a real affinity with Maud. Um, she started keeping these journals when she was 14 and kept them until she died in her mid to late 60s. I've read the whole uh, sequence of journals twice. I, I have this goal to read them every 10 years. Her story is not a happy one. She had a, her life was really hard, but I just, I feel like I have a real affinity with her, though I don't think she would necessarily be interested in me. (laughs) Uh, She had very strong opinions about a lot of things, which actually make her journals fascinating. But she was a pastor's wife. She was the mother of two children or two boys. She was a teacher and she was a children's author. Well, you know, at the time her literature was not just considered for children, but, you know, nowadays we typically consider her books Mm -hmm. for young people. So I just, I felt a really, a real connection to her. And, um, it's interesting. I, I write historical fiction and one of the main reasons I do is because I'm a really nosy person, which is not exactly something polite to admit about yourself, (laughs) but, um, you know, it's if I were to sit in a coffee shop and overhear a conversation, well, I love that sort of thing, but you can't exactly say that's very polite. But if I were to read somebody's journals or letters thing for me. So it's totally professional voyeurism. Exactly. (laughs) And so I like memoir. I like biography and autobiography, but I love journals. I just feel like there's this, this layer of a layer has been removed where somebody has not tried to form a story into something neat and tidy. This is kind of the fresh, uh, unadulterated version of a person. And of course there's that whole debate. Can anybody actually journal a life? You know, we, we're editing as we go. We pick up our journals at certain times and maybe not others. And so already there's this self censor going on, but I just think it's really fun to delve into somebody's, story in a way that feels so intimate. So I love, love, love these books. You know, you've been telling me to read those for years, and I still haven't done it. Oh, thank you you for the reminder. You're gonna love it. I mean, in this first volume alone, she has something like half a dozen um, proposals for marriage. (laughs) Really? She has quite a, um, a steamy affair. I, I, I shouldn't know she's not yet married. But as a as a young she's a She's boarding at a house while she's a teacher and the young man in the house in, in the evening, she goes upstairs and they're kissing all the time. I mean, wow. oh my gosh. In the 19th century. I know. It's- so she had good material to work with is what you're saying? Yes. And you know, you think of Rachel Lind, the character that is just so gossipy. Mm-hmm. So Maude is, um, is like a contained gossip. She's only gossiping in her journals. And so she's this, she, I mean, she could talk about um, really and truly, she talks about spring cleaning her house and this sort of thing. And I'm, I'm riveted. She can tell just, she spins a fascinating story, talks about all the people in her congregation in her small town. And it's just juicy stuff. It never occurred to me that she might be Rachel Lind in the stories. <laughs> a, a, a controlled Rachel. Okay. Controlled Rachel. Mm-hmm. All right. Caroline, what's book two? Okay. Book two is a page turner that I took with me on a family road trip a few years back. 
It's called The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. And as I was thinking about how to describe this to you, it sounds horrifying. <laughs> I'm going to try to describe it. I haven't that... read it, and that's okay. why. Have you heard of this book? I have. I've heard of it for a long time, and I had no clue what it might be about, which you're about to describe to everyone. Yes. Um, and in fact, it's a really, you, you kind of like, how much should I tell about this story? Because well, I heard it was a page turner. Yes. But then I read The Passage by Justin Cronin. And afterwards, when I said, oh, I just could not stomach The Passage, which has been on this podcast as a favorite pick. Um, so many people just love it. But it was only after I abandoned The Passage that I heard it compared to The Girl with All the Gifts by everyone, everywhere. Well, and I've heard you talk about the passage and I have made note because I think that sounds like a book I would love. So. <laughs> yeah, I think I thought about recommending it to you. <laughs> it's not on okay. my short list, though. OK, tell us everything. So the book is about it's a, the main character is a girl named Melanie. She's 10 years old. She's very bright and she lives in a special school. And this is the part that sounds bizarre and disturbing. Um, but in the in the way that it's told, it's that's not the case. Anyway, Melanie and these children live separately in cells, for lack of a better term. They are brought into their classroom every day. There's quite a ritual to bring them to the classroom. They are put in chairs. They're bound in chairs, like uh, with uh, braces or, or you know restraints on their arms and their legs. This again is she's she doesn't feel threatened or think that this is strange. This is all she's ever known. The world outside of her school must be like. But she also kind of gets some strange messages that there might have been a change in that outside world as her teacher's telling some stories and she'll think back to something the teacher said a few weeks before and she realizes, wait a second, that doesn't exactly fit with, with what was said before. So she has this sense, as you're right, I don't want to give too, I, this is a hard book to talk about because it's one of those and I hate saying surprise because when I read a book, when I hear about that, I'm like anticipating, 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 mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. I can't enjoy. <laughs> so I will just leave it like this. There's this sense as you, as you first start reading, are the children being protected from those who are in the school or is the school being protected from these children. So I'm going to leave it there for now. But this was one of those books that, you know, we'd get back in the car and I'd be like, okay, I got to read more about this story, everybody. I'll tell you a good sign. Next. It was a good one. Okay. Well, I, I think you did that justice oh, as I understand it and make people still want to read it and not, yeah, I've heard it's very gently done, even though when you read, you know, so many times straight plot summaries just sound terrible, even well, for do. wonderful, wonderful books. They do. And tone is everything. You know, you can have like, um, like for, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've been thinking the last few years as a reader, and I hate the term chiclet. I think it can be really derogatory, which I don't mean for it to be. But that's just the first term I'm thinking of when I'm, I'm thinking of like. And we uh, all know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, let's, let's say a chiclet novel versus uh, just a straight literary piece might be dealing with the same subject matter, but the tone is what makes everything so different. Mm -hmm. So that you can have really heavy things, but it can be done in such a way that is not gut-wrenching and, and is rather light, and you can even see the humor in it. So mm -hmm. it's it's all about tone. Okay, I like that. What's your third book? My third book, I'm going to kind of cheat again and um, give you a, a big sweeping group. I, say, <laughs> I was wondering books, what you meant by cheating. <laughs> 
the verse novel. I love verse novels. I will pick one. I will pick one. My most recent favorite is The Crossover by Kwame Alexander. Mm -hmm. And I have never ever, I I write verse novels, but I have to say I've never listened to one on um, CD or Audible. But this is the first one I actually listened to. And I was actually a little hesitant. I took it with me on a road trip a few weeks back. And um, I have this thing about poetry that poetry should be seen and heard. And I feel like with verse novels, the author is communicating structurally with the words on the page, either through line breaks or stanza breaks, as much as she is communicating through the the language. Mm -hmm. So I was really kind of hesitant. How is this story going to work? If it's a story told through poetry, how's it going to work if I'm just listening to it? Mm -hmm. And this book blew me away. For your readers if, or your listeners, if they haven't, uh, if they're not very familiar with verse novels, they are stories told through poetry. Um, that actually is up for debate. Some people like to say that verse is this um, hybrid thing that really isn't true poetry. Other people like to say it's subpar. It's not poetic enough to be truly I'm, I'm surprised at this debate, but I really shouldn't be. It's, okay, so the purists wonder, yes, have their doubts. Absolutely. And, you know, as as a verse novelist, I for years would, it would just kind of the mantle of the poets. I felt like I should be wearing a black beret and brooding. And I just, felt like maybe <laughs> I'm not good enough for this, you know, the, the word poet to be a, a description of mm-hmm. who I am. And so it's silly. It really is silly. But um, I try to set that aside as a reader and as a writer. But so back to the crossover for a moment here. So this book, is, it's middle grade fiction, eight to 12 year old audience. And um, it's a story of twin brothers, Josh and Jordan, and they love basketball. And uh, basketball is something that my guys love, but they're not interested in this book. I really wish I could convince them. To oh, do you this. love it too much? I just, I, they just are funny. My boys are at an age right now where they are hesitant to take my recommendations, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's natural. They're growing up at the same time, though. I, um, and, and I also want them to and they aren't super good at this yet. And this is something that I, I hope that they will learn soon. Um, I don't you know, they come and ask me for recommendations all the time. They don't necessarily take them. But, you know, I'm at the point where they need to learn to um, be creating their own interests mm-hmm. and finding books that they love on their own. Mm-hmm. So as much as I want to be giving recommendations, I want them to be able to find the things that they love on their own as well. Yeah. Are they more so, likely to take recommendations from other people? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. That's absolutely. where we are too. Yeah. And I, and that's good. I mean, you know, that's a good, that's, that's part of growing up. Mm-hmm. I do hope that they start to um, develop um, interests. And uh, I, I, I feel like I would love to for them to be able to say, okay, I've read this author before, let's try more books by this person, or this subject is really interesting to me, let's try more. And I don't feel like either of them is there yet. Mm-hmm. So hmm. anyway, back to the crossover. <laughs> <laughs> now explain to readers, I know a lot of people would see this in the bookstore or at the library or on Amazon and go, ah, basketball and just move on. So explain to us why they shouldn't do that. Okay, and I'll I'll have to say my boys play basketball. I'm a sports uh, ugh, I don't know person who's not interested. I don't get it. I, don't get it. Uh-huh. I watch their games because I love them, and I actually am involved because you know that's exciting. But I don't get sports, and I loved this book. Mm-hmm. So uh, these two boys are middle school sports stars. Their dad is the coach. He's a former um, I don't think he's NBA, but maybe he. 
he, he played professionally sports at some point in time and has stepped aside from that. And it's just a story of growing up. Um, Josh's brother, Jordan, has his first girlfriend. And so for the first time, the boys are kind of growing apart. And the dad, who's kind of been their rock through this whole, their whole lives, has... Um, has some health issues. His mom start the mom starts saying, you know, you really need to go to the doctor, and uh, the father is really, really hesitant to do that. And so his health concerns is something that starts to spin out of control. And so what is very familiar and comfortable and normal for Josh, all of his all of his things, even his basketball, starts to starts to change. And so it's just it's just a really is a story of growing up. What's phenomenal, and I'm going to use terms that are wrong because, again, I don't know anything about sports, (laughs) but just listening. I mean, just in the first five minutes, I was blown away, and and, and it continues throughout the book. Um, But there are elements of hip-hop and jazz that run throughout the story. So poetry and music, I mean, they share so many things in common with rhythm and with imagery and with word choice. And then, I don't know if this term is right, but the one that I have in my mind is smack talk. Mm -hmm. You know, when like, oh, I'm cooler than you or whatever that's, maybe that's (laughs) (laughs) You can tell how much I know about sports here, Anne. So Josh here is kind of, you know, talking himself up in this hip-hoppy, sort of sporty sort of way. And it just works with the poetry and how a Uh kid on the basketball court would speak. So it's just, it's flawless. It really, I mean, there are few books out there that are like this, but it's just magnificent. It really is. Now, I'm really surprised to hear you say that you had such reluctance to hear it instead of instead of read it on the page. I know. Because I always thought of it as being like, I almost think that everybody should listen to one once just to know what what it's supposed to sound like in your head. Like it's almost seeing Shakespeare on the stage as opposed to in your English class. Like you go like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. That is a very, that is very good. But I don't write verse novels. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It really, um, it's funny how, and I think sometimes too, that I don't, I didn't realize how hesitant I was to actually listen to one, to actually check one out from Mm -hmm. the library because I had, I had this strong opinion about poetry being seen and heard. And um, if I, what I really would like to do is check out the actual book and then check out the Mm -hmm. CDs again Mm -hmm. and follow along to see because evidently the poem the book has concrete poems you know where different shapes and such are actually communicating things Mm -hmm. as well as as the language and so I'm I'm curious about line breaks and stanza breaks and and what Kwame is saying with his language while I'm also listening along to the story so that would be really fun oh definitely I think you could totally call that work yeah it's like a wonderful way to spend a day exactly now for readers who love the crossover who are who, are, who like this idea of exploring verse novels, what are a few other favorites that were warring for your top three spots here? Oh, good. Top three, though, and top three. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> you know, what are some other favorites? Okay, some other favorites. Out of the Dust by Karen Hess. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, my daughter's reading say... that for school starting today. Oh, oh, cool. I told her it was one of your favorites. I didn't say oh. a word about my opinion. There you go. Because, you know, at requests or recommendations from other people. Exactly. <laughs> I should say the crossover won the Newberry for 2015 and wait, what year is it? Yeah, last year, one last year. And Out of the Dust won the Newberry in 1997, I want to say. And uh, the Newberry is uh, for the most distinguished piece of children's literature published in a particular year. Mm -hmm. So that is remarkable. Uh, Out of the Dust and Heartbeat by, Out of the Dust is by Karen Hess, Heartbeat by um, Sharon Creech. 
These are the first two verse novels I ever read before writing my own, which is ridiculous because you're supposed to read at least 100 books in your genre before attempting to write one. And uh, my excuse is I didn't know I was going to end up writing verse. So <laughs> these are the first two I read. They're just magnificent. Mm -hmm. Heartbeat is about a girl who loves to run. And so the heartbeat is echoing, um, you know, the footsteps um, and it's her it, and like crossover, her sense of control is the running, just like um, Josh. Josh's sense of control is the basketball, and so as as their worlds around them are changing, this is the thing where they find their their peace. Out of the dust is remarkable. It's about the um, uh, the Oklahoma Dust Bowl mm -hmm. in the 1930s. It is sad. I'm somebody who really loves beautiful and bleak, but hopeful is my way to describe books like this. I've heard people say, this book is so depressing, but I loved it. I just, I thought it was, I thought it was real. I thought it was honest to the times and to the character. And, and I found it hopeful, even though it was hard. Uh, a few other beautiful ones I've heard, you know, some of your, your guests have talked about Brown Girl Dreaming, which again, incredible. Uh, and that's a, an example of verse memoir. Mm -hmm. Inside Out and Back Again, which is uh, not memoir directly, but it is fiction based on the author's life. She grew up in Vietnam and left um, uh, in the midst of the Vietnam War, came to Alabama and um, and had to figure out how to be a kid in America. Mm -hmm. So that one is at times sad, but also triumphant. Mm -hmm. And oh, a few more. I could just go in as many as I can. <laughs> one... Um, well, maybe two that would be in the young adult uh, category would be Your Own Sylvia, a verse portrait of Sylvia Plath by Stephanie Hemphill. And uh, this is remarkable. Not, I didn't know tons about Sylvia Plath, but this is meant to be uh, a biography. Many of the poems are mirrored uh, on some of Sylvia's poetry. So you get a sense of not only her life experience, but then some of her specific poems as well. So that's a remarkable book. Newfound Land. Oh, Alan somebody. I can't think of his last name. Um, this is the story of um, Lewis and Clark and their um, travels, traveling through the um, Louisiana, gosh, what's it called? The land from the Louisiana Purchase. And you hear everybody's perspective, Sacagawea, and even their Newfoundland dog has poems in this book. Really? So that's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then the final one I want to mention, one that came out this last year, is called Full Cicada Moon. And it is about a, just a beautiful child. Um, I, I kind of feel like she would have been friends with my character, May. And it's really funny. I emailed the author and I said, our girls would have been friends. They, <laughs> they weren't even, they're, they're not real to begin with. And But I just feel like they had the same spirit. And so I just, uh -huh. it's a beautiful child. She's half Japanese, half black, has just moved into a new community. This is in the 60s. She's really interested in the space program and in, um, the stars and this sort of thing. And this is at the time it's, this is like in the late sixties. So there's, you know, the, the travel to the moon mm -hmm. and, um, she's just trying to figure out who she is. And, um, you know, she's different from everybody else. She's a girl who's into science and she's just a beautiful, brave soul. And so it just, it's a lovely, lovely book. Okay. Change of pace. Tell me what you hate. Oh, I hate this question is what I hate. <laughs> This is such a hard question for me. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to abstain from answering this question. 
What I'd like to do instead, if I could, is uh, explain to you why I don't like talking about books that I don't like. Oh, yes, it is conflicted. Yes, and absolutely. Okay, good. Okay. So I would say 10, 20 years ago, I was a real book snob and proud of <laughs> That's a great beginning to any story. <laughs> and I hate to, and then I feel like after that, I should say, and now I have seen the light. And, and I don't want this to come across as... I'm just so enlightened and superior and, you know, I don't, I don't want that to sound that way at all, mm -hmm. but my opinions have changed over the years. So I, I do kind of want to give a sense of, of what has happened. Probably my first exposure to thinking differently about the books that I've read uh, came in my adolescent literature class in college. And my professor, um, she, when she, she was training, we were all or students studying to be teachers. And so she talked to us about having discussions about literature in, in our future classrooms. And she used the terminology like versus enjoy. Instead of having children talk about what they liked and what they didn't like, mm -hmm. she encouraged us to find things that we could appreciate and the children to find things they could appreciate about books. Because especially when you're young, once you say, well, I didn't like it, most of the time discussion is shut down. So if you can find things you can enjoy in a piece, you know, there's a more opportunity. Even if you didn't like it, there's more opportunity for discussion. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the first thought that kind of entered my mind in my own reading life. The second huge change for me was that I started writing myself. And I started writing in 1998. I was uh, 24. This was between, this was a summer vacation. And uh, I didn't, my husband was in school, I didn't have any children. And uh, I wrote my first awful, awful, awful manuscript, but it was a fabulous learning experience. And I kept this pattern going for years where I'd write in the summer, revise during the school year and send things out to editors uh, also during the school year. It took me 12 years to sell a book. And in this time period, I started to realize there are so many people who do so many things so much better than I could ever imagine doing with words. And even if I don't necessarily like their books, just like, you know, back to my professor said, I can find things I can appreciate in what they're doing. And even if I can't find much to appreciate at all, I am beginning to, or I did begin to realize that there is an audience for their, for their work. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like that was something else that really broadened the way I thought about how I would spend time with books. Okay. And then the last thing is a quote from a dear friend of mine, Uma Krishnaswamy. She is in a critique group with me here in town. She, uh, we, we meet uh, twice a month to discuss our writing. Actually, Uma lives in Canada, and she Skypes into our meetings, so it's really fun. Nice. But Uma teaches at the Vermont College of Fine Arts. She's in the MFA program for uh, children's literature. Mm -hmm. And she has this quote that I have just loved that has continued to help form my thought about uh, reading. And so I just wanted to share this with you. It says, few books, this is something she shares with her students, few books are perfect. If you read like a writer, you must read to gain what you can from each book. So reading then becomes a generous act. I tell my students they must learn to be generous readers and judge each book, not by whether it's the book they would have written, but whether it fulfilled the writer's apparent intention for it. And so when I'm reading and I find books that aren't necessarily working for me, I really try to think, even if this isn't working for me, is it fulfilling the writer's apparent intention for it? It Has the author been able to successfully connect the dots in the way that I think she intended to? Mm -hmm. And so that I, I really, I love this idea of reading being a generous act. 
I want to remember as a reader that the books are, though reading is a private experience, as I said earlier, it is universal and it's, it's bigger than my personal story and my personal interaction with the book. And I, I just, I want my reading to continue to be a generous act. I absolutely appreciate this perspective. And I have two questions. Okay. Okay. First of all, if we were having coffee, Uh I mean, is having coffee and talking about books different than talking about books in public or on the internet? Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Also, another thread of this is because now I am a very, very, very small letter P, but nevertheless, small letter P public figure because I do write myself. I feel like it's not right for me to speak of other people's work. Now, other authors have different opinions and they, mm-hmm. they approach that differently and I mm-hmm. respect that. But if you and I were sitting down to coffee, absolutely, I would talk with you. And, you know, I have conversations with my mom and other readers uh, that I exchange books with and say, hey, what'd you think of this one? Whoa, that surprised me. This didn't work. You know, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. absolutely, I would I would be happy to do that. It's mm-hmm. publicly, I'm just uncomfortable with this. I, um, I understand. Like, like, a few years ago, I took all my stars off of Goodreads, for example. <laughs> I just felt like, you know, I don't, I don't want to think I want to share this with people. I don't think this is, you know, especially now that some of these people I'm reading, I now interact with personally. They just right, it, right. The world became much smaller, and I don't think this was my place any longer. My other question is, are you familiar with W.H. Auden, who has this really succinct five possible verdicts that an adult can have after reading a book? Is this something you've heard of before? I think I really I like the way he sums it up. Oh, probably because I talk about it a lot, especially when this conversation comes up, because, you know, I blog about books and I have the same reticent. I have no qualms at all talking about books I like. Yes. But if there's a reason that I really don't like a book, um, I I probably don't want to talk about it on the Internet unless the uh, unless it's by someone like John Grisham or Tom Clancy who I would, they're still a human being, but still, is it really going to hurt their soul that I don't, right. you know, appreciate their plot structure? Probably not. Right. Or, um, you know, dead, long dead. Um, <laughs> so, but I just love his short little, there are five ways you can react to a book. It's good and I like it. I can see it's good, but it's not for me. Uh-huh. I can see this is good and I'm trying. And if I keep trying harder, I think I shall come to like it maybe one day. <laughs> and with this, I imagine like Dante's Inferno or Shakespeare or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can see that this is trashy, but I like it. Mm-hmm. And I can see that it's trashy and I don't like it. So oh, this is good. I think it's just it's so fun, right? From yes. 200 years ago. So it's the trashy and don't like that we don't talk about on the internet. And okay. pretty yeah. much everything else is well, and I see, you know, it's good. To my quote from Uma, that is a really generous way to read, too. I like that. Yeah, with snob free. Snob free. That's yeah, free. yeah. And no shoulds. I don't like shoulds in reading. And there's exactly. no shoulds there. Yeah. Okay. And that's actually, this sounds really weird too, but this is why I'm no longer updating anything on Goodreads. Um, And this is so ridiculous. I know people aren't going there to see what I'm reading regularly, but just the idea that people might be going there to see what I'm reading regularly, I Mm -hmm. wanted to reclaim my reading for myself. And I felt like, you know, with friends having books coming out or there are a certain number of books that I intended to read, they did become shoulds for me. Mm -hmm. And publicly sharing what I was reading, I felt like I was losing some of that privacy of my reading life that I really wanted to recapture. So as strange as it is, I don't update over there anymore. And I, you know, I keep my written account of what I've been reading and it just is much more satisfying for me. I don't think that's strange at all. Caroline, what are you reading right now? I'm reading uh, four different books. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. The first one is The Hour of the Bees by Lindsay Edgar. This is magical realism set in New Mexico. Uh, Pioneer Girl by Laura Ingalls Wilder, her long anticipated memoir. Mm -hmm. 
The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism by Timothy Keller. This is my third Tim Keller book. I think he's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, The Lifeboat by Charlotte Rogan, which is a survival story. Nice variety there, but nothing too out of left field. Yeah. (laughs) Is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? I really wish I could be more consistent with the middle of the day reading time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do this sometimes. So I would love to do this more often once my boys are home from school and I've kind of transitioned most of the time out of my working day. Mm-hmm. That would just be a, a really good time to consistently sit down with a book. I hear you. So we need good titles that will get your, uh, hmm. I was trying to avoid saying button chair, but that's what we mean, right? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Okay. okay. I have titles in mind for you. We will get right to it after the break. Hey readers, before we get back to my picks for Caroline, I want to let you know that now back to my conversation with Caroline. Readers, welcome back. Caroline, I can see that you set a really high bar with your picks. You've chosen very high quality, like cream of the crop titles as your favorites, with a bit of a skew towards middle grade, which makes sense to me. Absolutely. I'm also noticing how many of your books revolve around the concept of identity and relationships, and we've got a dash of personal secrets and family secrets tossed in. Do you think love it? Is well, I was wondering if that was obvious to you because you write middle grade and you read a lot of middle grade and those themes aren't rare in middle grade novels. Yeah. I, I love, you know, what's so funny because I am, like I said, I'm nosy and I love thinking about motivation and you know, what makes people do the things that they do. And Mm -hmm. that's fabulous. Well done. Be careful what you say or you're going to send my my recommendations off in a totally different direction. Can't, won't be able to resist that. And also, like, I want to honor your love for verse novels. It would feel like cheating to just give you a big list of verse novels. And that probably wouldn't be very helpful anyway, because lists like that exist. But I want to find books for you that that do wonderful things with language and story without already existing on some tidy little list a library and drew up somewhere. Right. So that's what I have in mind. Let's see how these titles sound. Book one is Saving Lucas Biggs by Marissa De Los Santos and David Teague. What do you know about it? I have never heard of this book ever. Oh, fun. Okay. This is a middle grade novel. It's written by a husband-wife writing team. Teague is a children's book author. De Los Santos is a poet. And this is a wonderful story, but it's the poetry bit that really zoomed this one to the top of my list for you. So De Los Santos has talked about how even though she's no longer writing poetry, her poet sensibility can't help but shape everything she writes. Like she said that she wants her paragraphs to be shapely and her imagery to be evocative and that word choice is super important to her. And the words just have to sound beautiful when you put them together and read them in your mind or out loud. This just makes me happy. I oh, love good. <laughs> this novel tackles some pretty heavy issues, but like you were saying, it's so happen. Tone is everything. Yeah. And in, Middle grade novels, you don't get really dark, depressing tone. There's enough humor and sweetness here to balance that out. And the story is told in alternating voices. There's a bit of time travel involved. Don't be, it works. It works. And even though the book came out a couple of years ago and much of the action takes place in present day, I think it came out in 2014, much of the action takes place in 1938, but it feels really timely because the plot revolves around fracking, which... When, when um, you drill into the ground in ways yeah. that are controversial and not always thought to be safe and sound for humankind. 
So that fracking causes chemicals to leak into the water supply. And as the protagonists untangle what really happened when all this went down back in 1938, if you're reading it today, you can't help but think of what's going on in Flint, Michigan and the ethical issues there. So that's not why I'm recommending it for you, though, even though it does tackle those social justice issues in a very thoughtful, readable way. It's for you because it's a beautiful, lyrical, middle grade story. And I think it's up your alley. What do you think? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, everything you've said is the description for the author here. Those are all things that really ring true for me. And then alternating voices. I love that. And then historical fiction. That's my love. I mean, this is just perfect. I don't know how I've never heard of this book. This is I I have to as soon as we're finished talking, I'm gonna have to pull up this cover. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Okay, book two. I think it's quite possible you've already read, but if you haven't, you need to. And readers who resonate with your picks will need to as well. So we're gonna we're gonna try it. It is I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. What I do you adore, tell me everything? I adore this book. Oh, I good. adore it. This is one of the few books that has kept me up, you know, hours, hours, hours after I was meant to go to bed. It's just beautiful, it's fun, it's clever. It's one of those books where I have written down quotes to remember. Um, it's if I remember correctly, is it written as a journal? It is. Okay, that's okay. okay. So that's here are the claims to things. fame. Oh, good, good, good. Well, yeah, except, which is why you couldn't miss out on it if you had. So claims to fame, this for better or worse has been dubbed the very first young adult novel. I think it came out in 48. Is that right? It's something like that. Something well, you like know, that. I, I picked it up because um, J.K. Rowling said, um, Rowling, Rowling, I'm one of those people who doesn't know how to pronounce her name. We know who you're talking about. <laughs> and she said it was her favorite book. Really? I yes. did not know And I that. thought, oh my gosh, well, I have to read this. Well, and I yeah. just loved it. And it's Dodie Smith wrote, um, I think the only other thing I know that she wrote is 101 Dalmatians, yes, which I've did. never read, but I thought, oh my gosh, how interesting is this? So. Well, she got her start writing for the theater, which is another reason I chose this for you. So she has that flair for the dramatic, yes. um, you know, the storytelling, the characters, the atmosphere, and it's got a theatricality to it that just, it's on every page. So, yeah. but yeah, this is a, the, it is the journal of a 17 year old girl, one of the best narrators in English literature, just about a really eccentric 1930s British family struggling to make ends meet, living this total falling down literal castle. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you enjoy it. And I think other readers who resonate your picks will enjoy it as well. I might have to revisit it. I think I might pull it off the shelf again. It's one that's worth coming back to, I think. It is. Okay, book three is another told as a journal piece of fiction. It is These Is My Words by Nancy Turner. Have you read it? What do you know about it? I have not, but I have more than once pulled this book up on Amazon. And I don't know if I've heard of it from you or other people, but I have thought this sounds like something written for me. I think it was actually a favorite on Deidre Riggs's episode, maybe episode five. We'll put it yes, in the show notes. Yes, 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 yes. It's too perfect for you to let you off the show without doing the podcast equivalent of shoving it into your hands. So <laughs> this one is wonderful on audio, but you do kind of miss a component if you do it on audio, even though the storytelling is so well, because it is a journal starting from when Sarah Prine is quite young and it shows her growing up in her point of view and the way she tells a story and the things she focuses on but also um, she's educating herself from the age of she's very young at the beginning 
And her grammar is atrocious, and it's supposed to be. And for years, the title, These Is My Words, just really put me off because I didn't understand what the author was trying to do, and I just rolled my eyes at it. And <laughs> eventually, I was talked into reading it, and I'm so glad. So this fits in with your Laura Ingalls Wilder thing. This yes. is the late 19th century journal of a girl who is her, her family are pioneers. So they're trekking from Oregon to Arizona to try to make a life. And it's very, I mean, I don't know how realistic the story actually is, but there's hefty doses of real life. Like her, I almost maybe gave you a spoiler, but they, <laughs> the mortality rate was significantly higher back then. And there's yes. tragedy all around her. Um, but she tells everything in a very straightforward way. So we have adventure and love and marriage and family and just a whole different way of looking at the world from this girl, you know, several hundred years ago. It's just, hmm. I'm trying to describe it in a way that doesn't get all sappy because as soon, as soon as somebody says like, oh, that's just a beautiful book or an important book, I don't want to read it anymore. But the characters are really winning. It's a great story. It's well, well told. I think you'll I'm enjoy it. On your every word. I, you know, the very first novel that I attempted to write was about the Oregon Trail. It was atrocious, but, you know, the statistics, one in 10 people perished on that, on that journey. And um, it's funny when spring here in New Mexico, I'm thinking of coming to settle in Arizona, spring in New Mexico, it's just windy and awful and dirt and tumbleweeds everywhere. And so I'm always thinking, when it's like that, I think, what was mm -hmm. it like for those people before there were a few lawns and some planted trees and just what hardy souls? And then as far as pioneers go, my uh, my first novel, The First to Sell Maybe, is essentially a love letter to Laura Ingalls. So I am just so sold on this book. I can't believe you haven't read it already. I know. Okay. I can't believe I haven't either. And it's a journal format. I mean, oh, my gosh. And there's a sequel, which I'm saying, I can't believe you've never read this, Caroline. I can't, I mean, I'm gushing about this book and I've never read the sequel. So, okay. But if you I'll, love it, there's a sequel more to okay, come. I will. I, you know what I'm going to do as soon as we're finished here, I'm going to my library, pulling up my library homepage, requesting both of these books. And they are not new. So your odds are very good of getting them into your hot little hands immediately. Excellent. I know. Not exactly that I'm sure you don't have a nightstand full of books, but <laughs> I let mine jump the line sometimes. Maybe you do You know, too. that's right. It makes me feel so wealthy to have this uh, ever-ending list of books. I just, I feel really secure and, and uh, happy knowing, you know, sometimes people think, oh, I'll never get to read them all. But that to me feels like a real luxury. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That you'll never run out. Exactly. I love it. Caroline, what do you think you'll read next? These are both will be requested, I guess, whatever comes in first. I, you really have handpicked some beautiful books for me. So thank you. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks for talking books with me today. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, readers. I love chatting with Caroline about her love of verse novels, identity, and family secrets, and why it's so hard to talk about books we don't like. If you have a recommendation for what Caroline should read next, go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 14. That's the number one four and leave your picks and comments. You'll find the full show notes right there, including a list of all the titles we discussed in today's episode. Remember, you can connect more with Caroline at her blog, carolinestarrose.com. That's caroline, star with two R's, rose.com. You can also connect with her on Twitter at crstarrose. Before we go, don't forget, go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and make sure you are subscribed. 
Thanks so much for listening. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Readers, that's it for this episode. As Reiner Maria Rilke says, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs>